Welcome to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. The website, this show, and our newsletter all focus on making the science of advanced nutrition and greater overall health accessible to everyone. Buckle up for our latest episode to get ideas, tools, and practical knowledge you can use to improve your health and move towards your perfect version of ultimate wellness. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast shares interviews with nutrition experts, health researchers, and everyday people that have changed their lifestyle and nutrition to support greater health. You'll learn how to implement lasting change and create new habits that support greater wellness and a happier, healthier life. Please visit healnourishgrowpodcast.com for full show notes and links to our guests. I'm always excited about all of my guests here, but this one in particular had me pretty giddy because it's a person that I have been listening to for years. He is such a force in the low carb space and just a really kind individual. To go ahead with the formal introduction, my guest today is Jimmy Moore. He is an internationally best-selling author, podcaster, and inspiring speaker who is a highly sought after lecturer around the world. He catapulted onto the health seen in 2004 after a phenomenal 180 pound weight loss enabled him to stave off prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and respiratory problems. He's the energetic personality behind the uber popular blog, Live in La Vida Low Carb, and the host of the longest running and top drinked health podcast, the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show, as well as Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Cole, the Keto Hacking MD podcast, and the Nutritional Pearls podcast. He has interviewed well over 1,400 of the world's top health experts and has dedicated his life to helping people get the best information possible about nutrition and lifestyle so that they can make the right decisions for their health. He's authored or co-authored a series of books, including Keto Clarity, The Keto Cure, The Ketogenic Cookbook, The Complete Guide to Fasting, and Cholesterol Clarity. Learn more about Jimmy and his work at liveinlevitalowcarb.com. So without further ado, I would like to share our discussion with you. There were some great pearls of wisdom that came out of our chat. And the other thing I want to mention is that for some reason, Jimmy's audio cuts out here and there, but for the most part, it is still, you know, you're able to understand what he's saying. And I apologize for that part where it's cutting out here and there because it is a bit frustrating. <laughs> and definitely for me, after I started editing and realized that it happened, and then it might be a little challenging for you guys listening to it, but it's just for a couple of minutes and there's plenty of parts of the interview that are crystal clear. So I hope you'll bear with me on the technical difficulties because I think what Jimmy has to say and share with you is just so valuable. So here we go. So welcome everybody. I am joined today by Jimmy Moore, who if you are in the keto space, you definitely know his name and I can't wait to chat with you today, Jimmy. Hey, 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 what's going on? (laughs) Back, basically, I, you know, obviously introduced you to everybody um, prior to putting our interview on, but I'd kind of like to hear from you in your own words. And you have such a very interesting history about how you got into keto and some of your family health history. If you could just share with people a little bit about that and kind of how you got to where you are now. Oh, yeah. Like I was being a low fat diet before finding low carbs. And I think that we all do that. We all kind of default when you need to get healthy, when you need to lose weight, what do you do? You cut your fat, you cut your calories, start walking on the treadmill. We do all these like messages we've been told our whole lives. And how's that working for you? Like if you're, if you're doing that and you do it over and over 
and over again. And I think what draws people back to it is the reinforcement in our society. That's the healthy way. And then you do lose some weight. You do feel somewhat better, I would argue, because you get rid of the junk in your diet yep. for that period of time. <laughs> healthy. And so for me, I had tried all those things and I had been successful up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down with low fat diets. And in fact, in 1999, you mentioned family health problem. My brother had a series of heart attacks in one week. So four years older than me, my brother Kevin, and in 1999, he had three heart attacks in one week. He was in the hospital and for some routine checkup or something, and he had a heart attack while he was in the hospital. Thank God, because he probably would have died had he not been there. And then they put a defibrillator in, he had another heart attack. I mean, it just on and on and on. And it turned out he, he died at the age of 41. But when he had the heart attacks, I said, I've got to do something. And again, that all that that that's fat. So it's like grow fat diet and lost a bunch of weight. And, and at the end of about nine months, I lost oh triple digits of weight. But I was miserable, hungry, I was irritable, I was an angry man. <laughs> and never put two and two together as to why until I learned later. The importance of healthy fat made up of 50% fat. Yes, you're a fathead. I just talked to fathead. It's okay. <laughs> We're all fatheads. Um, and when you don't eat fat, that, that has major effects on your So at the end of that day, because I was so frustrated, well, this is the way I have to eat forever. Through that, I'd rather be fat and happy than be miserable and thin. And so that kind of got me on the journey for a while. <laughs> Until I got a diet book for Christmas in 2003, uh, and it was the Atkins diet. And I read that book. This guy, completely wackadoodle, what he cut down the car. What do you mean eat more fat? This doesn't make any sense at all based on what we've done. But I gave it a go. And so January 1st, 2004, on the Atkins diet, sucks for like three or four days. Like I had all the car flu, all the all the keto flu. But then, like, I got on the other side of that and went, all right, I like this. I feel pretty good. Like, for the first time, like, this is kind of cool. And and it started so much at the weight loss journey, so much more than I did end up losing three prescription meds, cholesterol, blood pressure, breathing problems. Uh, and and I picked the app. They're like, hey, we heard you lost some weight. So they featured me the page, and I started getting all the course. You should write a blog. And this was 2005. <laughs> like, what's a blog? <laughs> and so I started a blog in 2005 called Live a Low Carb. And it's now my trademark kind of name. Everybody knows that's me. Uh, and then a year later, started the, the Low Carb Show, which is now the longest running health podcast for me. Yeah, that's actually how I came to know you <laughs> because uh, when I, so I started going lower carb about five years ago and of course your work is some of the things that I ran across very immediately and similarly to you, I, I think we're kind of a similar age range. I grew up in the whole era of low fat, hardly ate anything and, and to your point about your brain feeling so much better, I struggled with anxiety and depression most of my adult life and after going low carb, higher fat, I've been feeling 
so much better. So that's just an, a, kind of an aside for people to know. <laughs> but basically, so you really dove in and you said, you know, the longest running and that's how I came across you. But the other way that I really came across you was I've always had slightly high cholesterol. And when I say slightly high, I'm talking like 220, which is now I know that that is not, not even a concern, right? And now it is higher now that I've been on low carb. But the first book I read of yours, and it might have been, might have actually been your first book. Yes, exactly. It was Cholesterol Clarity. And so I just want to tell everybody, if you haven't read this book, or if you are worried about your cholesterol, you need to read this book. It like just puts everything in a whole new perspective, really. And, and so was your, did your cholesterol go up? Is that one of the reasons you kind of dove oh. into that? Well, let, let me say, so at the end of the journey, I lost 108 pounds. Like my doctors, I think I'm rock star. I'm <laughs> going like, whoa. And he did. He was very impressed by the weight off. Like, All right, what'd you do? I said, I did the um, Atkins diet. And I didn't tell him because I kind of knew what was coming next. And it predictably happened. He's like, oh, the Atkins diet. Oh, let's check your cholesterol. I'm like, knock yourself out. <laughs> Obviously, help you. This kind of the brokenness of the medical system mm -hmm. is it's so numbers based. You're looking at a patient, right? That he could have easily looked at that obvious you're far healthier than you were. But no, it was no, that's not good enough. You've got to get your cholesterol down. So he runs cholesterol and it comes back and he's looking at the results. Oh, and I was like, what's that? That total cholesterol. I was on uh, Lipitor, and then I got joint pain, muscle aches, and things taking Lipitors. I'll put you on a better one. We'll put you on Crestor. Yet another friggin' statin. And so, no, it didn't help. So, when I came off of that during the diet weight loss, he's like, oh, 260 is your total cholesterol. I said, yeah, but what about the triglyceride? They were 43. Whoa, that's amazing. I'm finally able to share some really exciting news with the Heal Nourish Grow family. After years of people telling me I should write a cookbook, I finally did. It's of course focused on keto recipes that are low carb and delicious, but however you choose to eat, you'll want to have these weeknight recipes that are finished in under 30 minutes at your disposal to feed your hungry crew. The cookbook is available mid-November, so if you're listening to this, it's likely already out. Please visit cookbook.healnourishgrow.com for all the details. The is good, but 43, really. And then uh, what about HDL cholesterol? Good cholesterol. It was 72. Good for a man. Hate you ladies because you ladies get higher HDL than you got. Man. But uh, that was good HDL, uh, triglyceride HDL ratio, which is kind of what you should look at, not total cholesterol and something else. And he's, well, yeah, those are really good, but, and like there's stuff on chapter 10 of cholesterol clarity. I explained my doctors are so incredibly clueless about cholesterol. And since that book came out, now a brand new recommendation came out last year that before they can put you on that medication, you have to go one more step other than just on your bill. They have to run what's called that CT heart that I talked about in the book. And so they look for actual heart disease. And there is none that want to satin. So if your doctor's not doing that, he's violating the guidelines. Interesting. Now, I didn't know that part of it, but I did actually have that scan uh, eventually after reading that book so I could put that to rest. <laughs>
<laughs> it was not, but it was because I think I was a runner for almost 20 years. And my yeah. doctor actually told me that there's a study that was done on endurance athletes and they tend to have more calcification because of oxidative stress. You know, yes, exactly. It's the oxidative stress. When you overtrain, that's almost like eating carbs inflammation-wise. Mm -hmm. And so it, it doesn't mean don't train guys. Don't hear that as the message. Oh, I'll just be a slop and eat and, uh, like bonbons. No, don't do that. But when you exercise, do it smartly. Do like a hot intensity interval, like bursts of energy. Right. But don't overdo it. And, and yeah, a lot of runner friends of mine always talk about their HSCRP with the inflammation marker being like seven or eight. And I'm like, dude, like back off of the training a little bit and that'll cut down. Yeah, and I, I did actually have to give that up over 10 years ago now because of my knees. So I have, so I'm hoping between my, you know, my lifestyle now where I do much more reasonable amount of appropriate exercise and eating low carb that that number either will stabilize or go down. It's, it's only like 12, I think it was anyway. It wasn't real well, high, but oh, it's 12 statistically. So I wouldn't worry about that. If it was 150, I'd be yeah, we need to regress that. I wouldn't worry about 12. Yeah, I'm not super worried about it. But my doctor did still want to put me on statins after that. <laughs> and, and how old are you with 12? I'm about going to be 48 here in a month or two. 48, yeah. turning 40. Okay, well, that's good. Actually, a lot of women and guys, of course, um, heart disease is kind of like the big concern that people have. That's why saturated fat's been vilified. Right. It's why we all worry about cholesterol, da 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 But we're not looking at what's causing that calcification. It's not fat that you eat, not cholesterol. It's inflammation. So deal with the inflammation, which, oh, yeah, by the way, a ketogenic diet is an anti-inflammatory diet. And then you add in little biohacks like red light therapy, glaucoma, and ice baths, and all, those, all the everything. You bring that inflammation down, you can't have disease. Yeah, I, that's that's what I'm hoping for. That's my belief. So that's the program I'm on now. And actually, I'm glad that you brought up the biohacking stuff because another one of your shows that, again, how prolific you are with the podcast, I've enjoyed all of them. But one of my favorites was the Biohacking MD with John Lomansky. And I dig all that stuff. That's how I kind of got into this stuff, the science-based stuff. But you mentioned red light therapy. You mentioned ice baths, things like that. But you also ended up taking a sabbatical for yourself. And I, I know that you have talked about that a little bit, but if you're willing to share about that period I know that one of the main reasons you did it was to take care of your health because you are such a busy man and so prolific. And so if you could just talk a little bit about what you did during that time and any changes that you noticed and some of the things that you worked on. And thank you for talking about this. I'm back to podcast. Nobody ever asks about it. It's important. In fact, it's ironic you're asking me this because as of the report, today I said, I'm off. I'm just going to step away for a bit. The the data don't air my podcast. He's so visible online, just so I I can work on the part. But yeah, in 2009, I decided I did little time off, a lot of time off, because by that point I had been going for 50 years straight. Wow! And because I'm one of those personalities that go 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 go. go and I don't know, stop. And, and I am very prolific, uh, and, and I don't have any about my work ethic. I, I, I had me as a child that 
the way you prove yourself in this world. You work, work hard, and you give it your all. Like, how cool would the world be if poured themselves into the world one thousand? Yeah. Like, world would never be the same again. But that's my work. So it caught up to me. I was feeling the mental effect, the physical effect from it. Like, what? So September first. Uh, 2019, I went away, and when I went away, dark, I deleted my phone, every social media app, would be podcasts, I oh work. Now, I thought I was super crazy, and I did there for a little bit, <laughs> but after a while, I was like, I don't need that, I don't need that validate of my work, but what happened was, it, it so everything I do is always outward, 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 pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, all the things I do. When all that was stripped away, guess what's left? Oh, oh no. Heart. <laughs> and so, like, I started doing some work on myself uh, with my childhood trauma. I was physically and emotionally abused as a teenager uh, for about three and a half years by my dad. I never dealt with that. I never came to terms with what that meant. I started like digging inwardly. Um, I had a breakup in my marriage at that time as well. It just really kind of brought things to light that I needed to deal with, but I was covering up my pain with my work. And before I left, I was doing sick podcasts. And I didn't think I was working smart. Then when I went away and it was all stripped away, then I'm like, oh, wow. And how many of us do that? Get so caught up in our lives, we miss what we need to be working on. And so, in that six month uh, from September until February last year, I I did the work. I I looked inwardly. I reevaluated where did I mess up in life? What can I do to be a better man? All the things. Um, and then I come back March the first, and two weeks later, COVID happened. So uh, <laughs> it was not fun. But I learned so much, and like I still, even now, am learning to take that time. Because like we talk about health from like a diet perspective or health from fitness, but we very rarely talk about health from a mental perspective. Mm -hmm. And we talk about mindset, oh, you get your head right so that you eat right and stay dedicated and have the willpower and all, all that kind of terminology. Uh-uh, that's, that's cool. And nothing wrong with that. But I think what's missing in kind of the health and wellness community is mental health is just as important as physical health. And yet mental health gets poo-pooed and, oh, you see, go see a friend and everything will be okay. And it's not always that easy. No, it's absolutely not. And um, I do actually come from a mental health background. My um, a degree is in psychology and my minor in addiction studies. And I did some graduate training in psychology as well. So that is actually something that I really am personally interested and focused on. And when I put out my content, I do try to, that's why it's called Heal, Nourish, Grow, because it's really about a holistic approach. Yeah to health, not just what you put in your mouth, because we are finding so many things like sleep and stress and a lot of the things that you were dealing with before you went on hiatus were really affecting your health, even though you were doing arguably everything really perfect with your diet and with the, you know, with the therapies that you were doing. Yeah. I put on a face for the outside. Not like, it's not like low carb is the answer. 
It's not like, uh, and, and people do that. They like to throw up, well, if you're eating uh, keto or carnivore, why are you still fat? Why are you still dealing with this, dealing with that? People put so much like magical powers on one thing, and I don't think health is about any one thing at all. There are some core things you can do, I think, across the board that would make you trend towards healthy earth. But you can't just say, get your diet right, and all of your weight loss will be gone, all of your health is better. It's like, what if you have childhood trauma delivering that you never dealt with? What if you had some other incident in your life that was just so life-changing and you never came to terms with it? Like, that's the physically manifest. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. We'd also love it if you could post a review on iTunes. It helps us so much by allowing others to more easily find us. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast wouldn't be possible without listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Now back to the show. Yep, I 100% agree with you. And I'm so glad that you did take that time and that it sounds like you're about to step away again for a little bit. So during that time, are you kind of doing hiatus or do you have any special projects that you're working on or what's what's kind of next on your horizon? It's funny you think of projects this way for the six months before I left. People are like, you write a book during the six months off. I'm like, that's not, not- a <laughs> right. Yeah, they're like, just whip those writings out. <laughs> and so, like, for me, I cover up pain still, and I'm gonna I'm gonna admit this on your show. I still use my work to cover up pain. I've been going through a very difficult personal thing on top of the virus, on top of all the other craziness in the world that everybody's had to deal with. I've had this personal little albatross around my neck for the past year and a half that's just not gone away yet. And so until that's lifted, I'm not gonna feel fully able to kind of move on with my life, so to speak. So I have this idea of like covering up that pain by pouring myself into my work. Well, now I'm at the point where today I announced I'm going to step away for, you know, a week or two or whatever, just to kind of take that big breath and go, all right, it's going to be okay. Like, I think if we talk kindly to ourselves and try to show ourselves the grace we want other people to show us, then... We need to do that. I think we're sometimes our, our own worst critics and enemies, and we need to be our number one champion. Couldn't agree with you more, and I am so happy for you that you are working on all that, and I'm sorry to hear about the, the trouble part, but obviously I think you, again, taking this time and taking care of yourself because you have been such a wonderful part of this community and offering people so much information and so many good things that the only way that you can continue to do that is if you take care of yourself first, right? And I think so few people, and especially women get in that pattern, but men too, obviously, but of not feeding themselves first, like the whole putting on your oxygen mask, they forget about that, you know? I'm a bit of a different kind of guy. Like I have the tradition of like able uh, when it comes to like, well, I suck up my feelings. That's never been to me more. Like I've always been one a little more in touch with my feelings. doesn't make me gay. It just means I'm in touch with my feelings. And, and so when I went away, that became all the more accentuated. So now I can talk very deep with people in conversation. In fact, some of my best friends are girls. And so it's just funny because it's like guys don't go there in conversation. And guys, you should go there. Like, I didn't realize the power of letting go of kind of the stereotype of what a guy should be until I started having these meaningful conversations and going, 
Like I do a show, I do a podcast now called One Step Deeper, and it's literally about mindset, belief. I do it with my best friend, 20 years younger than me, married, has kids, and so we're de very different people, very different age range, and yet we connect on that deep level of conversation that mindset, it, it's ageless. It doesn't matter what your mind, what, what your age is, you all can make changes that can be meaningful uh, wherever you are in your life right now. That's so powerful. And I love that you encourage other men to, because I think it is healthier, not that you have to be like in touch with your feelings all the time and, and make it into somebody that you're not, but right. it, it is part of your health really to, to recognize those things. I so hate that stereotype that I can't be. I, like, I can always feel. It's just been beat out of them. It's been de-emphasized in the culture. It's like, I think I'm a pretty tip-party guy, but that doesn't make me less of a guy because I do that. No, absolutely not. So just to pivot a little bit because some people, and I think if you take nothing else away from this conversation for the people watching or listening, is that you do need to focus on not just what's going in your body, but your whole, your whole self-awareness and your whole wellness program. It's not just eating, but to go back to eating because that is what we're kind of talking about here at the end of the day. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. I love, I mean, this is like what I hoped for for this, for people is to just hear from real people, like how, how they, do they deal with things? How do you do low carb and keto for, you know, the 20 years, 15 years, whatever it's been now that you've been doing it and make it sustainable. And part of that is around mindset, obviously, but for part of it day to day, like, can you talk a little bit about how your eating has evolved over time. So when you first started out oh. in Atkins, it was one thing and then you've messed with carnivore and you've done experiments where you've done 90% fat. And so right. maybe you could talk about some of that stuff with the eating. Oh, I did a lot between Atkins and carnivore. So, <laughs> so I went on the Atkins diet. I didn't care about food quality at all. I think some of my first meals that first week was American cheese and processed turkey and rolled up dipped in mustard or mayonnaise, and I ate it, and hard-boiled eggs, dipped in, and so it was very rudimentary, but it was it was what got me off the crappy garbage, as I call it. And then, like, over time, I, I evolved the eating to more of kind of a paleo, low-carb approach, because paleo came around, got involved in that community. I was listening to a lot of things about microbiome and some of the other things and like what would healthy carbs that you could add in that would be good okay well I'm doing this and that okay let's try that and so and that then I took that real food approach and I said well I want to maximize what this does let's see what happens if I put it ketosis and then some of the measurements for blood ketone came around around 2011-12 um, and so I'm like okay I'll test my blood and whoa, I'm not actually burning fat for fuel. So then I honed it in and started experiments, ended up doing a one year experiment on keto this book. <laughs> yep. <laughs> keto Clarity, if you're not watching the video. <laughs> What's that? I was just saying keep the name of the book in case people weren't watching the video. It's called Keto Clarity. <laughs> so what I'm most famous for in my podcasting now is Keto Clarity. And so so then keto was around and, and I was kind of in early before the trend of keto out there happened and then the trend happened but like all the while I was noticing more animal based more animal based less carb less carb 
and it just kind of, I just naturally fell into kind of a keto carnivore kind of lifestyle. And it's not that I, everybody needs to go animal based. It's just, I know I feel that eat mostly uh, meat and most animal foods. And it's like, if you don't feel good in that, then don't do that. But it's worth something, uh, trying something, always tweaking like what you're doing. Um, and pay attention to how you feel. I, a lot of people, they predicate what they, based on what the scale tells them. Throw the stupid scale away. I will come bring a big old sled <laughs> thing for you if you want me to, because it's discouraging people left and right, and it really doesn't give you the whole picture. No. Yes, weight matters, but your health matters more. Yes, and I, I think what you're saying about noticing what you're eating a lot of people aren't very in touch with their bodies. And, and that is one of the things that I also come from a background of yoga. I've taught for over 10 years. And that is one thing that, <laughs> yes, namaste. That is one thing that yoga and meditation definitely help in relation to your health. Like people think of it for mental health, which is true. But it also allows you to become more in tune with your body where you notice like for me, you know, when all these treats, I've always been a whole foods based person for the most part. But when all these like keto treats and stuff started coming out, it's like, it's kind of exciting. It's like, oh, I can have a cookie again or whatever. And, and I make some of that stuff for myself yeah. when I want. It. But those package things, what I observe in myself is like, uh, if I eat something with coconut flour, man, that just, it just feels like a rock in my stomach. It feels horrible. And the first time I noticed it, I was like, I was thinking, wow, people go around eating these all the time. And I'm not saying everybody has the same reaction, but I'm willing to bet that some people just don't even notice that that is the trigger that's causing them like, oh, I don't feel so good today. Or and the thing that frustrates me is, well, it's keto, so or not off limits in any quantity. That doesn't even make that like <laughs> it's still a cookie. <laughs> Such rare, have it on occasion, no big deal. But it becomes daily, or if you notice that the coconut flat or bomb. If you've been around my content for a while, you know that one of my favorite things is making and eating gourmet food and pairing it with wine. You might think you can't enjoy wine though while trying to lose weight or stay in ketosis. And if you're drinking traditional wine, you might be right. So many wines are mass produced and full of sugar and other garbage additives that can wreak havoc on your health goals and just make you feel bad. Fortunately, I discovered Dry Farm Wines. I've been drinking their wine for years now and I love this company. They individually test small batch wines produced by vintners that are committed to the practice of dry farm production. Some of my favorites have been the Blaufrancish variety from Austria and all of the wines from the Loire Valley in France. Dry farm wines are free from excess sulfites and mold that can cause adverse reactions and hangovers. With no added sugar, each wine is tested to be under one gram of sugar in the entire bottle. Yep, you just heard that right. There's less than one carb in the whole bottle of wine. They're also slightly lower alcohol, which means you can enjoy a delicious wine pairing at dinner any given night and not end up with a hangover. You can receive an extra bottle for just a penny with your first order by visiting dryfarmwines.com slash heal nourish grow. I'd love to hear what your favorite wine is after you try it and be sure to tag me on social with pictures of your wine and delicious dinners. Again, that bottle of wine for a penny is at dryfarmwines.com slash heal nourish grow. Feels like you're having a baby. Okay, maybe it's time to lay off of that. 
Yeah, and I think that is a thing that happens now is like people forget, you know, even when I ate how right before, like I was vegetarian for seven years and but again, always whole foods based. But what I never did was never, and this is just like a personality trait. I think I never allowed myself like to have a treat every single day. Like if you eat dessert every day, that's for most people, that's not gonna work out very well because it's taking the place of foods that are nutrient dense and that you actually need. And so yeah. I'm not saying like you, I'm not saying never eat a cookie, but I think this idea that we can just like eat all this stuff all the time is kind of a weird thing that's come around in keto. Well, our culture like made this whole appetizer meal dessert normal. Go to a restaurant, here's the appetizer. Oh, okay, here's the main entrees. Oh, what would you, would you like some dessert? And so it's like this, it's been subliminally said to us, you have to have some at the end of the meal. And that's never the case other than if you're a kid. Like you have So finally, the last thing I kind of was thinking about in relation to making things sustainable, we're kind of talking about, you know, going out to eat and desserts and things. If a lot of people come to keto for weight loss, I mean, there's so many other benefits as we just talked about the anti-inflammation and the, you know, brain health benefits and all of those things. But a lot of people get here because they want to lose some weight. So over your years of doing this and having experimented with all the things you've experimented with, are there any kind of tips or tricks or nuggets of wisdom that you can offer for people whose main objective is weight loss. And I, I do love that you said throw away the scale because you do need to focus on how you're feeling, you know, measurements, things other than the scale. But you know, some people do need to lose weight to be healthier. Can I tell you the biggest mistake people make their pursuit of weight loss, but our is when things aren't moving, they want them to do it. Getting rid of the scale is important. What do they do? They do two things extremely fat. They cut fat mm -hmm. and they cut calories. So what happens when you cut fat? Take away some of this fat that you were getting. That fat that comes from a low-carb mother protein that got can't cut cough and cut fat at the time you're asking for. It. Mm -hmm. Because the body can only handle just so much protein. And there's this thing called glucopenicin, which causes problems in the body. That it, it squirts out glucose. You're like, I'm not eating ketosis, what's wrong? You're not eating enough fats. Don't cut fat. But then even sometimes people eat the right amount of fat, but then they'll cut their calories down to a low point. When you cut calories below a certain threshold, I think for what it probably did not dip below 115 to be at a really good pace. For guys, probably two thousand to twenty hundred at minute. Because when you dip below that, you're tempting your body that there's some there's a crisis. What's happening? Okay, we're not letting go of any short body fat because they're obviously right at they don't have enough food to feeding us enough. Why when people go on fasting, can I have a bulletproof coffee? I like. 400 calories worth of butter and coconut oil and MCP oil, your body's going to get starving and you're actually going to gain weight, not lose weight. Eat fat, fat, fat. Uh, <laughs> I think that's where people get in trouble. So what do you do? They study on what the basics are. It's why I wrote keto. I wrote so many, uh, so many books. It's why I wrote so many books. Uh, <laughs> so is people get so confused all these messages all these people out there when keto based get back to the basics the basic and then as you go and get results from that then other things 
Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned fasting because I would be remiss to not chat with you about fasting after all of the amazing experiments you've done and the other book, The Complete Guide to Fasting. I'm a huge proponent of fasting as well because of my health history and also there's a lot of cancer in my family and so I'm really focused on you know, making sure I have a good amount of autophagy every single month. And your experiments and your work obviously was really interesting to me once you started doing some of these really longer fasts and stuff. Um, and I actually think it's a pretty good tool for people, you know, in, in relation to weight loss. But right. I think maybe you could expand upon that. I mean, I talk about this a lot about, you know, the fasting ex or the starvation experiments. So your body's starving is really into pure fasting where your metabolism actually speeds up. Dr. Fung's website, when I first found that, I, it's it's like a book on his website all about, <laughs> all about those studies and, and why your metabolism doesn't slow down when you fast. So maybe you could go into a little bit more detail about that part. And Jason is a wonderful co-author on a book when we wrote back. Probably my favorite co-author at Airquip 30 books. I was like, dude, I can do all that. <laughs> but yeah, like the the basics fast are just don't eat. Like it's not hard. And again, it goes back to our cultural norms of, oh, breakfast and snack and then lunch and then snack and then dinner and then snack and then midnight snack. It just seems like Culture poo poop on fasting because they have preached the opposite. And so fasting actually has very powerful, uh, I guess, effects that come from it. You mentioned the autophagy that generally happens fully within 72 hours of a fast. And don't freak out. Three days is not a long time to fast. I fasted for 21 days, three times. Uh, and one month, I tried to go a whole month, but then I traveled and I found out that stress is a you-know-what when you're traveling <laughs> for me at least, and so I ate that day. I was jittery and trying to drive and concentrate. Uh, but in that month, I had uh, all but two days in the 31 days that I fasted. So that was cool. But yeah, like you do, you speed up your metabolism, boost human, uh, human growth hormone. There's so many things that happen. The fun part is when you start testing blood sugar in a deep fast and a long fast, and you see like a 112, you're like, how in the world do I have a 112? That's good news, guys, because what happens, Dr. Funk and I talked about this in our book. You have pockets of sugar hidden in your fat store. So as your fat stores are released, that sugar gets released into the bloodstream. So if you're sitting there pricking your finger thinking, wow, my blood sugar's going to be great. And then 112, <laughs> and you don't realize you should celebrate at that point because it means that fat that's been tucked away, protecting you from all kinds of toxins, it's now out of your body. It's now getting getting rid of. And yeah, I, I think fasting is the magic elixir that not near enough. Yeah, that's, I keep saying, I'm actually doing a little talk for this keto diet summit about intermittent fasting and fasting in general. And I like to say it's really the most powerful health tool in your bag that's pretty easy to do. Even if you decide, if, even if you never change your diet, I think yeah. you can get, a ton of the benefits that we've been talking about just by doing a really good fasting regimen. Well, and everybody says, oh, you're just starving yourself. Let me make the between fasting and starving. Starvation is you want to eat, you ain't got access, so therefore you can't. <laughs> fasting is have availability to eat. You can eat at any time, but you're choosing not to because you have a bigger purpose. Yeah, and I love that distinction. And, you know, as a woman and as a smaller woman, I've actually gotten some pushback on that occasionally, like, oh, you must have an eating disorder. Are you being healthy? It's like, 
you have a family that's got as much cancer and problems as I have, and I have a tool that I could possibly prevent that just by not eating in the morning. I mean, why wouldn't I do that? It's like, I, I don't know. I have to keep reiterating that to people sometimes because, and, and not to say that I do think, you know, this fasting thing could attract some people that are in it for the wrong reasons. Oh, sure. yeah. In we were interviewed uh, about the complete guide to fat. Is there any contraindication for people to fast? And I said, you're pregnant. Right. Uh, if you're a small child, I think teenagers probably do. Small child, don't fast. And then if you have a propensity for eating disorders, get that under control, get that mental health you under control, mm -hmm. and then try it down the road for a super uh, medical profession. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing advice. And I actually think that you could make the argument, you know, eating in this way without the carbs, because it evens out your blood sugar so much, you lose these high and low cravings. I think it can actually be really beneficial for people with certain types of eating disorders. Oh, for sure. And by all means, go keto before you try fasting. A lot of people ask me all this, like, should I fast get in ketosis? I'm like, if you like pain. <laughs> It is harder. I mean, people could do fasting without changing their diet, but keto definitely makes it 100% easier. Because I did some fasting, you know, long before I was keto, and it was right. way harder. <laughs> oh, I'm like, why keep that to yourself? Like people over the holidays, you know, they go off a bit, and they try to get back on, and they're like, did I fast today? I'm like, ketosis, like, why would you do that? And it takes two to four weeks maximum for people to get really... And then, like, that's absolutely, and, like, you can vary it up. Well, they do OMAD, so that's one meal, and then you fast for 24 hours. Then they, you can totally skip it, and it ends up being about a 42-hour fast, your last meal, and then you eat again. And maybe you go three days row after that, skipping around, you do this all the time with exercise, or mix things up to keep your muscle guessing for the growing. Why would it not work where you have intermittent intermittent fasting? Yes, totally agree. I love that. <laughs> well, finally, I've, I've already taken up so much of your time. And again, thank you for being so generous with it. Sorry, are we almost done already? <laughs> I mean, I could talk to you all day long, but I know we both have other work to do. But any final thoughts or advice for people that, because this is one thing that drove me to this. I, I get this question all the time, like, or I see it in the media that the keto is not sustainable. Keto is not sustainable. Meanwhile, we've there's plenty of us that have been doing it for for a year, two years, three years, five years, so long. Any final words of wisdom or advice about that? You know what's not sustainable is chronic disease. Because once you die, have more obesity, insulin resistance, heart disease, Alzheimer's, yada, you don't reverse that. So why don't you put in the effort to eat in such a way that makes you feel good, it tastes good, and all that heartache and pain down the road. Like, I don't see why this controversial way, I don't see why people would have this negative stigma. Oh, it's not sustainable. Trust me, low fat diets are the least sustainable diet I've ever seen in my life because nobody puts up with hunger for long. Are you ever hungry eating keto? Are you ever not liking the food you're eating? Like, it, it seems to me the desirability of the diet and then the outcomes that that diet gives you are proof enough that it's sustainable forever. No, I couldn't agree more. I think we just have to keep putting the word out there and hopefully eventually somebody will believe us or if they finally just try it, it the proof is in the pudding. I mean, once you do it, it's like 
This is like a thousand times easier than vegetarian. I can tell you that. This is why I've been at it 17 years. It's why I still remember so passionate about it because it is that life changing. Yep. And, and I thank you again for all the work and the, all of the things that you do for this community and all the wonderful information that you put out there. And thanks again for joining me today. Thank you. This has been the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. Again, I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. You can find show notes for this episode at healnourishgrowpodcast.com. If you have feedback on today's episode or questions about the content, please email us at podcast at healnourishgrow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to sign up for our email list at healnourishgrow.com and subscribe to the show with your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. Join us next time for more information that helps you live your best and healthiest life. Thanks for listening. Content on the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast does not constitute medical advice. Content contained in the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is not intended as medical diagnosis or treatment. Neither the company nor its owner, Heal, Nourish, Grow, LLC, nor any of the company's employees, agents, or guest speakers provide medical advice. The content provided on Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your medical provider with any questions about what health practices are right for you.